Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray that not just for myself, but for everyone within this room, within the sound of my voice today, listening online. Lord, that we could put away the cares and the worries and the concerns of this world, the things that are hard-pressed upon us right now, and just focus on you. Let us not worry about our to-do list. Even wipe out the, the fun, the happy things that we're looking forward to so that we can concentrate and focus on your word and what it means in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We start in Matthew 1, verse 16, kind of halfway through this chapter with a long piece of scripture. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. We've all heard what we refer to as the Christmas story so often that I think we have to be careful. We're in danger of accidentally trivializing it, minimizing the importance of an event that changed the history of mankind, thinking, we know it by heart, I've heard it every year since I was a kid, and that reading these scriptures is nothing more than a sweet tradition. That's wrong. Repetition helps us memorize the truth and importance of the word. And God's Holy Spirit has an amazing way of unveiling new insights to us as we read a scripture again and again over the years. So we miss we risk missing some valuable insight if we just mentally tune out when we hear these scriptures every year. I know I'm guilty of it myself. It's what reminded me of it in preparing this message. We have to always remember that this great stage play for humanity was written before time began. And it's still being directed scene to scene by none other than God himself. And this story has 
huge significance to all of us, both today and in our near future, because none of the many incredible things that Scripture promised are going to happen very soon with the second coming of Jesus would be possible without every little detail of what happened way back then when Jesus came the first time. To me, some of the most fascinating details are the people involved, not only who they were, but how they were. So I've been very excited with Pastor Dave's idea for Advent this year, looking at some of them in more detail. The vast majority of the people our Lord used to make this story a reality weren't rich or famous, not even middle class. Most were young, poor, nothing special in the eyes of the world. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about Mary, a very young girl, barely a teenager, who was chosen by God to give birth to the Messiah. And today we continue our Advent series, The Faces of Christmas, with a good look at a man who often doesn't even get a second glance in the story of the birth of Jesus, Joseph, the husband of Mary, who perhaps should be called the forgotten face of Christmas. And I pray that what we might discover about him today will show us all some wonderful things about our Lord, encourage us to grow closer to Jesus, and also reveal perhaps some areas we personally need to improve in or, or give us ideas we hadn't thought of before on how we might better serve in the kingdom of God. So let's go over the passage we just read verse by verse to see what we might find. Matthew 1:16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. You know, I post sections of these lessons on, on Facebook and other media each week in a, a little devotion I call Morning Inspiration. You can receive that by email if you'd like or, or just find it through the social media. But one of, one of my Facebook friends commented, love the way you're teaching of Jesus' earthly family tree. I think we as believers forgot the Creator knew every human being before we were conceived and nothing can happen without God knowing, which makes Him pretty powerful. Oh yeah, our Creator is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. Nothing surprises Him. And, and if you'll glance back in your free time later today to the first few verses of this chapter, you'll read through the genealogy, which sometimes bore us. Some, sometimes we, we have really a lot of trouble reading the old-fashioned names, and we tend to put them away, but it was very important to show the detailed accuracy of the prophecies about the lineage or ancestors of the Messiah that were given 40 to 50 generations before his birth. And there are so many interesting details to be aware of and for us to grow to understand. Both Mary and Joseph descended from different branches of the family tree of King David going back about 500 years. Both were Jesus' earthly parents. In other scriptures, Mary is commonly referred to as the mother of Jesus. Here, Joseph is called simply the husband of Mary. And I think this is to help us understand the complicated but beautiful relationship set up by God to bring his holy son Jesus into this world. As we've spoken of several times, the Bible makes it clear Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. 
God's Holy Spirit allowed her to become pregnant and to give birth. And this was to set up the dual identity of Jesus as fully God and fully man. Our next verse is 118. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. For this scripture, it's important we don't just read the text, but understand the context. In the society of those days, to become pregnant before your wedding brought terrible shame and humiliation on both halves of the couple, as well as their entire extended family. It was a scandal. And Joseph knew he wasn't the father of the baby, so he had to have assumed she had been with another man, and he had every reason to be heartbroken and upset. But to his credit, he did not want Mary to face any additional disgrace, so he decided not to make a big scene. He would try to make it a little less painful for her by going away quietly, not making any noise about his disappointment, his dissatisfaction with the situation. Now, a few moments ago, we read he was later visited by an angel of the Lord, and I think it's key to understand that on his own, Joseph was all about doing right by Mary even before God intervened to explain about the pregnancy. That's proof Joseph had a great heart right from the very start. And we can each learn from Joseph's reaction to life's disappointment. We need to do the right thing, even when it's the hard thing. And many of you have learned that in serving the Lord, we come to see that seldom is doing the right thing the easy thing. But when we proceed in faith, God will always show us how to do it anyway. The Bible teaches that through our difficulties, there are big rewards for living a life that is right in God's sight. Verse 20, 21. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Even thousands of years later, with the benefits of our advanced education and expert studies of old scripture, it's still very difficult for us to understand that Mary became pregnant without ever being with the man. We can only imagine the overwhelming doubt and fear that flooded the mind of her fiancé, Jesus. Because everything that happened was supernatural. God went beyond the normal means of communication, sending an angel to Joseph to explain. And the message was even more earth-shattering than the fact that the virgin was pregnant. The child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph must have been stunned to learn that he was to name the baby Jesus because that means the Lord saves. In other words, this poor simple young man had been selected to protect and provide for the long-awaited Messiah who was sent to save the world. We can all learn so much from this passage. 
God rarely calls those he the really calls those that the world sees as qualified instead he qualifies those who accept being called and we don't have to be educated successful or nearly perfect to be used by the Lord we must simply be alert available and obedient the difficult assignments that God guides each of us to often seem implausible, even impossible. Yet if our Lord tells us to do it, He will show us the way through it, just as He did for Mary and Joseph with the baby Jesus. In verse 22 we read, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through His prophet, which, by the way, takes us back to Isaiah 7, 14, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. I have to point out, it does not say he never, ever had intimate relationships with Mary. It says until her son was born. And those who want to make her the eternal virgin have to explain away this scripture as well as some other things we, we know from, from the truth of the word. No time to go there today, but I just couldn't let it go by unnoticed. In chapter 2, we read about some wise men from eastern lands who came to worship the newborn king of the Jews. And Pastor Dave will cover this next week in our Advent series as we study them and then the following week, the evil face of King Herod, so I'm skipping over most of that for now, but I, but I did want to pay homage to the, uh, to the three wise men by wearing my camel hair jacket today at least, okay? <laughs> Sorry. It's too easy, I couldn't let it go. But, but now it's back to what we would call angel dreamland for Joseph, except this visit seems more like a nightmare. In Matthew 2.13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Our modern day Christmas scenes almost always show the wise men visiting baby Jesus in the manger and we know that didn't happen until a few years later after the birth and again Pastor Dave will go over that in the next couple of weeks but I wanted to point out they were following divine guidance and divine guidance is usually only given to hearts that are ready, receptive and responsive. And I think today is a good time for us to ask ourselves, is my heart ready to hear from God? And will it be receptive to his message, no matter what that message is? And will I respond in the affirmative? The fact that this was the second message from an angel to Joseph shows us he was all of that and more after swallowing his pride, 
He honored his already pregnant fiance, making her his bride. And as instructed, Joseph named the baby Jesus and put all his heart into being the earthly father of this heavenly child. Ever stop to imagine what this young couple must have seen and heard while raising little Jesus and his siblings? It wasn't a single family, uh, a, a single child family. It was a bunch of them, and, and just as they must have been settling into the first few years of trying to learn to raise a very special toddler, Joseph was given another extremely difficult task, taking Mary and Jesus cross-country through very dangerous terrain, over 90 miles, mostly on foot, to a completely different country. I urge you to try walking nine miles with a wife and a toddler and let me know how that goes, okay? Really, Lord? No means of support? No family? No plan? No problem. As frightening as it must have been, Joseph trusted in God to guide and provide, and we have to each strive to do the same in our daily lives. Always be alert and prepared. Listen to the Lord even when it seems well beyond what is possible. Practice respond, responding with, yes, Jesus, it's my honor to serve you, and I know you'll figure this out. Like Joseph, you'll see God using you to fulfill his purpose for your life and the futures of many others. And verse 16 reminds us how often it's critically important that we don't put things off. When God speaks, we are to obey right away. In 2.16, it says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. But Joseph left that night. No, well, we got to get a mover. We got to get somebody for the dogs. We got to get da 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 He packed up and he took off, not knowing, but trusting. Now, again in Scripture, we jump forward a few more years to look at Joseph returning his family to Nazareth. In verse 19, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. It's important for us to always point out how so very many biblical prophecies spoken and written hundreds of years earlier in Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled perfectly in great detail by the birth and early life of Jesus. But we often don't notice that at least four of them were made possible through the obedience and direct response of the forgotten face of Christmas known as Joseph, the husband of Mary. 
And notice that while Joseph didn't contribute to the DNA of the Messiah, he faithfully served as both the husband of Mary and the earthly father of Jesus. As we read through the gospel accounts of the childhood of Jesus again and again, we see Joseph doing the right things in the right ways for the right reasons. And scripture is filled with examples of people who did the right thing, but in the wrong way. Jonah comes to mind. He eventually did do the right thing and teach the word of God to the people of Nineveh, but not until after he ran away and spent part of his cruise vacation inside the belly of a whale. And even then, he continued to hate the people he was sharing God's word with. And while he did it, he complained to the Lord all the way along. Others did the right thing for the wrong reason. The Pharisees are a good example who learned the scriptures but used them to promote their own position and status in society or by donating money to the poor but making a big deal about it and hiring bands to play and, and, and really bringing attention to themselves. Not jo Joseph. He did his best to always do what was right in the Lord's sight. He followed the Jewish laws, raising his family, took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated as a baby, took the family to Jerusalem for Passover every year. And as far as we know, he did it all quietly. But Joseph went above and beyond what any of us can reasonably imagine ourselves doing in order to protect and provide for Mary and Joseph and the other little children that were part of the family as they grew. Every single one of us men would do well to model his example, make the extra effort required to protect and provide for your children and your bride, be alert, available, obedient to the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Teach your children that you are simply their earthly father, that they have a heavenly father watching over them, waiting to spend eternity together when their days on this earth are completed. Now again, we skip forward to the last biblical reference to Joseph still being alive, though his name is not actually mentioned. And it's the story about Joseph and Mary losing track of Jesus for several days when he was just 12 years old. They're in the caravan going back from the Passover. Where's Joseph? I thought you had him. I thought you had him. Uh, uh, Lord, we've lost your son. I'm sure Joseph felt very disrespected when Jesus did this. And we know they went back to search for him, and after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting there among the religious teachers, listening, asking questions, and everybody was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And in Luke 2:48, we hear from his mom. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, Jesus asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house about my father's business? But they didn't understand what he meant. I imagine that had to be very hard for Joseph to hear. Don't you think? As in, but I'm, I'm your father too. How could, you, how could you do this to us? It had to hurt. Now that's pretty much it for mentions of Joseph, the husband of Mary. 
through the rest of Scripture. We don't know how long he lived, how or when he died. He just sort of fades away. No parades, no awards for Father of the Year, no mentions later in the book of Hebrews of what a great example of faith he was. The only other references to Joseph in Scriptures are in terms of disrespect from the community he lived in. In Matthew 13, 53, we see one. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country, returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? And then they scoffed, he's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And there's a similar passage in Luke 4, 22. Everyone spoke well of him, Jesus, and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they ask? Isn't this Joseph's son? Read between the lines. What they're really saying is, how could such a simple man possibly produce such a brilliant young man? They were saying, it's absolutely impossible that Jesus is our Savior because the Messiah could never have come from and, and be raised by such a basic man. But our God in his greatness, knowing all, understanding all, not only chose an earthly father who was unprepared to raise up and train and protect the heavenly savior of the world, he chose one who was unimaginable to the people who frequented the temple. Why to this day, even in the Christian community, do we so often look for worldly traits in our leaders instead of godly ones? You know, in those days, the term carpenter usually meant handyman. There really wasn't many trees. There weren't much wood. Most of it had to be imported. So a, a carpenter usually referred to someone who scraped out a living, making and mending things. Carpenters eked out a humble living on the lower edge of society. The religious elite who thought very highly of themselves and their positions were incredibly impressed with the knowledge of Scripture Jesus shared with everyone. Yet because he was just a carpenter's son, they dismissed him as unworthy of their time or attention. And this is the perfect example that God's ways are not our ways. He sees a person's value as much higher than they are worth in the mind of mankind. Jesus sees our position in this world by our love of his word. And he will use anyone and everyone who's willing to serve him as Lord and Savior. Joseph, the husband of Mary, that lowly carpenter, was just such a person. And I'm praying that regardless of your status in life, you will always be willing and available to be used by God. He has great and wonderful plans for each of us that we honestly can barely imagine. And did you notice that Joseph is the only main character in the Christmas story who never speaks a word? Mary, the angels, King Herod, the wise men, even the lowly shepherds all, all had things to say 
but Joseph evidently didn't qualify for a speaking part. So um, as far as scripture is concerned, the Lord didn't feel there was anything necessary for Joseph to say. And I know a lot of you husbands are going, I can never get a word in edgewise. I get it. I get it. No. God used Joseph as an example of a person who was always willing to listen and obey. So now that we've spent all this time looking at this man who played such a pivotal role in the early life of Jesus but gets so little attention or credit, let's see what we can learn about ourselves from this man because odds are his situation in life was similar to some of those faced by you and I today. We work hard. We love our kids and our spouse. We, we lay it on the line every single day. We do our level best and try not to let anything get in the way of us being good and godly people. We strive to be examples for our children, protectors, providers, uniters, not dividers, givers instead of takers. Or do we? When we're absolutely honest with ourselves, is what I just said an accurate assessment of who we are and how we are? Are we a little selfish, a little self-centered in our marriage, in our home, in our job, in our community, in our church? If so, perhaps today's message is just the nudge, the push, the motivation we need to make what we do right in God's sight. Because I promise there are plenty of families where mom and dad are not perfect. I know, I know, it doesn't apply to anybody in the room today except for me. But scripture's designed to make us look at ourselves as if looking into a spiritual mirror and then to make the necessary changes when we don't like what we see. We do that physically every day. Why can't we learn to do that spiritually every morning? And ladies, this message is not at all just for the men. It, it, it goes through all of humanity. Moms, dads, if you're like me, odds are high that whether it's at home, at work, just life in general, it seems as if so often we get little, if any, understanding or respect from those we feel we deserve the most from. Our spouses, our kids, our in-laws, our bosses, and when we are disrespected, we get disrespectful, upset. We get angry. We want to get even, and that throws us out of whack with the Lord and His will in our lives because he expects us to soldier on anyway, just like Joseph did when he was disrespected. And even though our modern society seems to try to deny it, it's a fact. Husbands and fathers are important. They're needed, and they're key to our families for kids to grow up strong in the Lord. And God wanted a good, strong father on earth for his son. We know a lot of single moms who can carry on. We believe Mary herself had to do that after Joseph died, but it's tremendously more difficult. You fathers, you dads, you need to be there showing your wife and children how deeply you care. And so often as parents, we feel the things we say, the words we speak, are most important above all else. And that can be true in large measure, but what we do and how we do it is a lot more critical to those who are to watch over and serve. Earlier I mentioned 
God's ways are not our ways. And I wanted to read the scripture that comes from in Isaiah 58.8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So how foolish is it for us to assume we know all of God's plans or understand his actions? We're always so shocked when something horrible or disappointing comes into our life, and so often we shake our heads and throw up our hands and ask God, why? And I am learning in the process to instead ask God, what? What would you have me do? What do you want me to learn from this? What should change in me or, or the way I live, Lord? And what am I doing right that pleases you that I should do more of? And what should I stop doing? So easy to ask why, but it's much more productive in our relationship with Jesus to ask what. I know it's our nature to ask, how could this possibly happen? Why me? But as Christ followers, we're taught to learn to ask, why not me? God's own son suffered greatly too. How can we expect not to? So again, we practice saying, yes, Lord, yes. And asking Jesus only when and where. And how do I get there? To pray, Jesus, I don't always understand, but help me to trust your master plan. Show me every step of the way that you would have me walk with you today. True faith calls for us to put our complete and total trust in his wisdom and love, knowing he will always do what is best for us in his grand plan for the world, even when it may seem horrible to our limited viewpoint. Just like Joseph, we need to be willing to do what God tells us. You know, one of my favorite scriptures is in Matthew 18:5, where Jesus picked up a little child to settle an argument among his followers, set him on his lap and said, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. I believe, according to this scripture and others, there will be very special rewards in heaven for those of you who raised or are raising other people's children. If you're a step-parent, an adoptive parent, a relative raising a sibling, or your brother's or sister's kids, a grandparent raising your children's children, or, or maybe you're a teacher or a coach who comes into contact with young people in the community who, who don't have a good family situation and you treat them as your own child even though they don't live with you. You understand what Joseph did better than most people ever will. And I have to point out that there are so many children today who need a Joseph or a Josephine in their lives. Foster children, stepkids, orphans, healthy and, and special needs children. Listen carefully. To those who God has called to take care of, to help, or even to raise other people's children but have not yet responded to the Lord. Do you know that in our state at this very moment, there are hundreds of healthy children waiting to be adopted 
into a forever family? Most of them have never done anything to be in that situation. There are dozens and dozens of other kids who have very special health needs but have no families. And odds are many of them from both those groups will never be adopted. They'll experience what is referred to as aging out of the system without ever having anyone to call mom or dad. They're going to head into the world as young adults with no one to lean on, no one to give them good and godly advice, no one to go home to celebrate the holidays with, no one praying for them as they try to make their way in this dark world. The ministry that, 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 that I'm blessed to run, Beds for Kids, got a letter this week. Yeah, I just aged out of foster care and I'm, I'm trying to get started. Could you help me with the bed? I don't have anything. You know, we Christians have a heart about the issue of abortion, and we love to talk about how it hurts us that there are so many of them in our state every year. But how many of us have stepped forward to adopt any of those unwanted babies? How many of us are willing to answer the call from God to look into fostering or adopting some of the kids I just mentioned? How many can get it out of our heads that, well, if we're going to adopt, we have to have a, new, a, a newborn, a fresh start? Where does that come from? How many of us are willing to step outside our own home and provide love, care, and guidance to young people who are friends of our children but don't have anyone really showing them the way in this world? As former foster parents and now adoptive parents ourselves, Rose and I can tell you it's not easy. And truth is it can be very difficult at times, extremely painful at others. But it is so worth it. And it's so in line with what Jesus teaches us. The Lord has blessed us in countless ways through our willingness to answer his call to be a mother and father to someone who did not come from our own bodies, from our own DNA. And I know in my heart, he'll do the same for you if you only step forward in faith and trust God to show you the way, just as he showed Joseph what to do and how to do it and when to do it. Pray about it. And don't stop praying about it. And listen, you know, I, I know... It often feels like God doesn't hear our prayers, but we rarely, if ever, stop and take the time to listen to him. God never speaks to me, you'll say. I would argue he speaks to every one of us every single day in a variety of ways. Psalm 19, which I always quote part of in my opening prayer, says the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. They continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. The Lord also speaks to us through his response or even lack of it to our prayers. Through his holy word, the Bible, through other people and happenings that he places in our pathway. And what I used to see as coincidence, I now know is God speaking to me, guiding me through each day. And communication with God's a two-way street. He's not a celestial Santa seated in the heavens to hear our wish list and then deliver on schedule, on demand. He's not a supernatural bondsman who expects to hear from us only when we're in deep trouble and need bailed out. He is our Father in heaven, and we are his children, and he desires close 
and personal contact with each of us every single day. So isn't it time to begin having regular communication with the one who created us and holds our future in the palm of our hands? Jesus is standing by to help get things started. But maybe you've never even come to know him personally as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here with a friend or just visiting, or maybe you're like I was at the beginning and kind of hanging around the edges, wondering what, what this church thing is all about. God has a plan for you, and he wants you to ask him to be the biggest part of that plan, to invite him into your heart as Lord and Savior. And I won't ask you to do that publicly right now, but I will ask you as we go into prayer to ask him to do just that, to come into your life, to forgive you for your sins, to guide you step by step into this new relationship, as full of sin as you are, as faulty as all of us are, to give you a fresh start with a clean and forgiven heart, and to show you the way through the rest of this world into an eternity with him in paradise with God himself. And then after the prayer, please come up to the front and tell me or one of the other pastors, I prayed. And we'll pray again with you briefly. And we'll take you aside and help you become part of this beautiful family here at New Covenant that is worldwide with millions and millions of brothers and sisters who will come alongside to love on you, to help you, to show you the way. Just pray, Lord Jesus, help me to come to truly know God our Father better by listening much more carefully to what you have to say. Let's bow our heads. Oh, great and mighty God, we feel the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room at this very moment, and we thank you. Who are we? Such infinitesimally small little specks in this universe that you would care so deeply about us, that you would send your beloved son to live a life that turned out to be very difficult and extremely cruel that ended up with him sacrificing his life so that we could have this relationship with you in spite of our sinful past. Lord Jesus, we're just so filled with gratitude and love. And those of us who've known you for a long time, we know we need to recommit. We need to be closer to you than ever before. That as we head into this holiday season, which is supposed to be filled with so much joy and cheer, but can be so incredibly depressing, so sad, such a difficult period of time for so many, Lord, that we can't get caught up in that, that we have to look for the good, that we have to mine for the joy that often is just beneath the surface, Lord, when you are with us. And that we have so much to share by showing those who we work with, who we live with, who we come into contact with, how much you care, what you promise them. That Jesus, the Christmas season is so much more than trees and lights and packages under the tree and the special holiday gatherings and meals. But it's about this grand play that you wrote before time began and that is quickly coming to a close. Thank you for allowing us to be characters in this, Lord.
Let us always do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons according to your way of thinking. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.